appreciate you guys being open with that. Sometimes, again, it may be stuff we don't want to admit that we did uh, or pretended to be, but I appreciate your honesty this morning and engaging again because it's not every time we get together, it's not just about it me. It's about us doing this together online and in person. So thank you for being open and honest with that. I had a pretty active imagination growing up uh, and sometimes now, right? <laughs> uh, as I get older, though, I find myself daydreaming about people and places I read about in books. My dad uh, mentioning uh, Jubal Sackett was a great, great uh, illustration. I love that book. I would picture myself uh, in the Shire with Frodo, right? Not the, not the Pownal Shires, but the Lord of the Rings Shires uh, with Frodo. I'd imagine myself on horseback in the, in the Wild West, right? Back in the 1800s, or maybe on a ship sailing around the world. I found a lot of freedom in books and in movies, uh, which is what our imagination does for us, doesn't it? We pretend we're someone else, we're somewhere else, we can't actually go in reality. We use that to, uh, as a way to escape, to, to explore questions and possibilities in the safety of our own minds. For many, it's not books or movies today, but it's video games, right? So uh, just about everybody's a gamer these days, but if, uh, if you're like me, and again, lots of uh, people younger than me, video games is a way to live out being someone or something else through a controller and a screen. One of the more popular ones today, my kids play it, I've, I've never uh, played this one, I played a lot, but not this one, is uh, Among Us. So if you're younger than me, you know this game, Among Us, right? Uh, anybody here know Among Us? Maybe, maybe not a couple of people. All right, that's okay if you do or don't. It's all right, I'll tell you about it and maybe it'll make sense. So Among Us is basically have this group of characters in this space and they're all going about daily tasks, right? Uh, and, but one of them is secretly a killer. And so the killer, or also called an imposter, uh, is trying to pretend to be innocent like everybody else and then knock them off in secret so it doesn't get found. All right, so for everybody who's older than me, it's Clue in a video game, all right? So if you ever played Clue, it's Clue, all right? So just making sure you know that, uh, basically, anyway. So uh, it's, it's a way to pretend to be something you're not. So for books, video games, movies, all these things, our own imagination, they're all ways to pretend to be something that we're not. It's, it's, uh, it's something that we do all the time. And I think often, whether we admit it or not, that life imitates art. There are times in our daily lives that we pretend to be something we're not. Isn't there? We, while we're around some people, we act one way, but in secret, we act another most of my teenage life was spent doing this. This was pretty much my whole existence from, from 13 to 18 was pretending to be one thing during the day amongst my group of friends and another with another group of friends and I'd swap hats off during the, during the week, whatever it took to fit in, right? I was insecure in who I was and even now there's kind of days where I struggle with that insecurity, right? Where I look for ways to escape. But not nearly, thankfully, as much as I, I did then. But anybody been there? Anybody feel like that insecure? Like, well, I got to pretend to be something different when I'm around friends and family than I really am when I'm by myself or around this other group. Anybody there now? Maybe a little bit? Okay. All right. So either all of you are really secure or maybe a little bit telling stories. Maybe you're lying this morning. I don't know. That's okay. Either way, we're going to process through it anyway, right? Because this morning we're going to continue our Characters of Easter series with a look at the life of a man who was in a very, very similar situation called Nicodemus, a man who was caught between a public image and a private belief. And so we're going to explore his story together. We're going to put ourselves in his shoes, and we're going to see how eventually he was able to reconcile the two. And maybe as we explore his story, we can as well. All right, so let's do this. So Nicodemus was different. If you've been with us these past few weeks, we've been walking through this Characters of Easter series. And the first two weeks, one was Peter, and that last week was Thomas, right? And, and they were, very, they were uh, working class, they were hardworking guys, but they weren't very wealthy, they weren't very educated. This week is radically different. Nicodemus is, is, is complete opposite. First, he's wealthy, but not from working, but from family money. 
right? He was probably from a well-respected, uh, probably rich family. Second, he was incredibly educated, incredibly, all right? If there was degrees in his day, he would have had a PhD. And third, he was part of the elite religious ruling class in Jerusalem, all right? And in that group, even among those elites, he was elite, okay? So he was the elite of the elite, all right? This is radically different than uh, and pretty much the exact opposite of those who closely follow Jesus. And in many ways, Jesus himself, those men and women uh, were, 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 were different, radically different. They were poor. They were working class. He was not. He was the elite. He was, again, opposite of even Jesus himself. Nicodemus was widely respected, distinguished teacher, member of this ruling class, and Jesus was a poor man who owned nothing. A radical revolutionary and nobody from nowhere with no perceived earthly power or authority. And so from the outside looking in, it seemed like Nicodemus had it all together. It seemed like in his position in life, everything was safe and secure. And on the outside looking in, Jesus was risky. Jesus was this dangerous fringe element that flirted with death. But despite these differences, despite the social, political, the economic advantage that Nicodemus had, he was wise enough to understand that he didn't have it all. He didn't have it all. He knew there was something missing. He realized that Jesus had something he didn't. There was something about him, something about the way Jesus talked, the life he led, the miracles he performed that stood out. It made Nicodemus begin to question what he even thought he knew that made him realize, man, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but there's something here that's missing in my life that I think Jesus has. So one day Nicodemus hears that Jesus is in Jerusalem, where Nicodemus lives, right? And so he decides he's going to go see him. He's going to go talk to him, start to unravel this puzzle that he's been dealing with in his private time. But he has to be careful, right? Because he's, he's this respected member of this ruling class. He can't just go out and speak to this, this fringe element guy. He can't just go out and start talking to this person in public because it would seem like he was swapping sides maybe, right? Maybe he was not exactly who he thought he was. And so he decided he was going to protect himself and still find the truth, right? He was going to see Jesus, but he was going to see Jesus at night. And so he waits till darkness falls and he comes up. Now, now Jesus is a popular guy. We've talked about this these past two weeks, right? The majority of his life was spent talking and teaching and serving others. And night is one of the few times where he actually has a minute to himself, right? You ever been there? Everybody with kids or grandkids, this is your life, right? You know that pretty much your existence is just surviving until nighttime, right? And then you can get a little personal time to recoup and then do it again. This is Jesus's life. He's giving and giving and giving. And so he gets to the end of the day and he can finally retreat and calm down and relax and get a few moments peace. And so as Jesus is winding down for the day, out of the shadows, Nicodemus kind of creeps in. Jesus recognizes him, though, all right, because Jesus knew who was following around. He recognizes that he's a part of this group that Jesus has been speaking against. He knows that the hour is really late, that he's ready and tired to go to bed. But yet, despite who Nicodemus is, despite the fact that he's the, the enemy, perceived enemy, despite that it's late, Jesus still says, all right, come on in, let's talk. He welcomes him in. You see, Jesus looks beyond the exterior into the heart. He recognizes that Nicodemus is searching. He's seeking truth. In our area, being a Jesus follower isn't very popular. We're often labeled as narrow-minded, countercultural, misguided, backward in many respects. If you don't believe me, tell your friends and family that you go to church and they should come too and watch how fast they get out of that conversation, right? They'll find any excuse to immediately leave. And when you experience that enough, it becomes easier just to downplay your faith, doesn't it? 
Or if you're considering following Christ, maybe you're watching online now and you're thinking, I don't know about this Jesus person, but I'm kind of exploring it, but I'm not ready to go public with it yet, right? So maybe you're pretending to be something on the outside with your friends and family because you don't want to deal with those hard questions that come when you're exploring faith like this. And yet, despite our, our hesitancy, despite our social fears of rejection, despite our pretending, Jesus welcomes us and our questions, even if they're in the dark. So despite the differences in the hour, Jesus extends grace to Nicodemus, and they sit down and they begin to talk. And Nicodemus starts this conversation off with these words. It's going to be above me. That's also going to be here if you're online, but also if you have a Bible or a Bible app, feel free to open it up. We're going to be in John chapter 3 and working through a few verses here this morning. John chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus is sitting with Jesus. They begin this conversation together at night. He says, Rabbi, meaning teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's pause there. Nicodemus' words here give us some clues as to where he's at spiritually. He recognized Jesus as an authority, even though Nicodemus himself is a teacher. He says, okay, you're a teacher of another quality, another kind. He sees that. Although that Jesus has no formal training, he has no college, he has no degree, he recognizes that Jesus has some authority outside himself. He can, he can teach others. He's already seen Jesus perform these incredible miracles. He knows that Jesus is something special, and he's wondering if he's the one that God has promised would come, because he's waiting for that one. So Nicodemus is seriously considering Jesus here. He's being won over, but as close as he was in that moment, he's so, so far away from truly understanding who Jesus is. You see, Nicodemus came that night looking for validation to what he thought to be true. He was looking for the promised king from God that would overthrow the Romans, that would institute this national, uh, this nation of Israel to, to, to be this kingdom that stood on its own, a king that would base uh, his status, would, would invite others in, that would be uh, hard workers, that would be devout, that would be followers, that would be people who were, could achieve great things like Nicodemus, right? He thought that Jesus was going to be someone who would set up a kingdom that would bring people in that were doing good things, that were working their way up the ladder. They could do religion. They could do rituals. They could do whatever it took to keep the, keep the law, to, to be devout on their own. So Jesus is going to answer Nicodemus, but he's not going to validate Nicodemus' truth here. He's actually going to completely turn it inside out. So here's what he does. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 3 of John says this. Jesus answered him. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, <laughs> Jesus was blowing Nicodemus' mind here, right? The kingdom he sought after that Nicodemus was looking for wasn't one drawn on a map, but an eternal one, not defined by borders, but by God who rules it and by the people who reside in it. A people that were called and brought together by God, living out his perfect will on earth, just as it is in heaven. And Nicodemus thought this could be achieved on his own. That's what Nicodemus thought. Nicodemus thought, man, if I, I've done all these things, I know all the rules, I've, I've got it all down. If I do enough good things, then surely I can be in this kingdom. Surely I can be part of this, this new nation. If I could do, a good enough, uh, do good enough works, do good enough things to earn God's approval and enter in, so he's confused when Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. 
need to be born again. Now, what does that mean, right? So Nicodemus is thinking the same thing. So he asks this incredibly profound follow-up question. He goes, huh? <laughs> what? Born again? Here's, here's exactly what he says. John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old, right? Nicodemus is an old man at this point. He's thinking, okay, that's not possible. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? All right, so he's missing it. He's missing it here. He's envisioning going back in time or going back physically and being reborn literally. He's not processing this because Nicodemus is a very literal person. He needs to see it. He understands it. He, he thinks it's happening in, in, in this physical space. Clearly, Nicodemus is confused because that's not what Jesus means at all. But he genuinely wants to find the truth. Otherwise, he would have just said that Jesus is crazy and went home, right? If somebody tells you, oh, to, to be in the kingdom of God or, or to be part of our church, whatever, you need to be born again, and you have no idea the context of that, those two words, you'd be looking at me like, okay, this is nuts. I'll see you later. I'll find someone else to talk to because you don't know what you're talking about. And so Nicodemus is genuinely seeking, right? Because there's two kinds of ignorant. There's unknowing but striving to know. There's unknowing and not wanting to know a deliberate shutting off from the truth. Jesus recognizes that Nicodemus is willing to learn, so he kind of elaborates here. Verses 5 through 8, Jesus answered him after Nicodemus said, Huh? <laughs> Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, right? That which is born of the Spirit, spirit. Do not marvel, he says, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you may not understand how and why even the wind blows, but you can see what it does. You can see the effect that it has. You may not fully understand how the Spirit of God works, but you can see the effect of the lives of those He touches. A life changed and full for now and eternity, a life lived with love, living with God and with others in joy and peace, isn't attained by any human act. You can't earn it. But just as the wind blows, the Spirit goes. It's only possible when God reaches out in grace and He grabs us and He fills us and He wipes away the sins of our past and He empowers us with His life-giving Spirit that we are reborn, we are able to live as free sons and daughters in community with him and his people. And when that happens, that's what Jesus is saying here, when that happens, just like the wind knocks over trees, when the Spirit hits you and you're reborn, you know it. You can't deny the effect. You may not be able to understand how, all of it, but you can see it when it happens. Nicodemus was wrestling in the dark with this. His whole life, really, at that point, was being tossed around. Everything he thought he understood was now coming into question, right? His whole life was being just destroyed at this moment when Jesus is, is just wrecking him here. And that night, he couldn't wrap his head around it. He was this intellectual, deep thinker. And what he couldn't grasp was that as important as it is to know all the steps in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, as he was hearing this, that it's just as important to experience the power of it. Because at its heart, the gospel is a mystery. And what I mean by that is that it's not an unsolvable riddle, but it's this deep well. This deep well. that has You can't even see the bottom of it. And God's calling you to keep drawing from it. 
to keep exploring, to go deeper and deeper, to, to know it and experience it, not just understand it. Nicodemus came with questions of Jesus, and he left that night with more questions. <laughs> he didn't fully, he didn't get it. He didn't understand. He didn't have all the answers yet. We all go through this, or we should. Just like Thomas, we talked about last week, it's not wrong to ask questions. It's wrong not to. Maybe you're not quite sure where you're at in your faith. Maybe you're pretending to be something on the outside, but you're not quite sure on the inside. Maybe you're seeking in the shadows like Nicodemus, but as you seek, let the light of Jesus be your guide to bring you out into the bright truth of day. See, Nicodemus wasn't convinced yet. But he was thinking harder and harder about what Jesus said. The more he thought about it, the more he thought Jesus might know what he's talking about. He's thinking, but he's not quite ready to make it public yet. He still pretends to be this devout Pharisee by day and this truth seeker by night. And the truth keeps drawing him out and out and out. And the next time we see him is in John chapter 7. And we see Jesus back in town causing trouble. See, Jesus had left that night, but then he comes back into town. And Jesus was, 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 a, was, a, was, he was, a, he was a mess maker. <laughs> he, was, he was a stirrer. He loved to come in and he loved to cause trouble. He loved to get people to think, to go outside their norms, to think, okay, there's something else. There's someone else. And so he's back in the middle of the temple, the center of where the religious leader's power was. And he was making incredible claims. He was saying that he was God, not a way to God that he was God. Now, we see someone making that claim today, and you say, you're crazy, right? In their day, when they were seeing the Pharisees were hearing that, they said, that's blasphemy. You can't be God. There's only one, and we know where he is and what he does. And that was punishable by death to say you were God. <clears throat> so they try to arrest him. They said, we got to fix this. we got to squash this down right now because nobody should be walking around saying they're God. we got to fix it. So they try to arrest him. But the officers, when they get there, they're going to arrest this guy, arrest Jesus. They're afraid of the crowd because the crowd's they're eating it up. They're like, man, this might be the one we're looking for. So they think if we arrest him, they're going to riot. And so they come back empty-handed. John 7, 45 through 49, the officers then come to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the, the Pharisees said, hey, why didn't you bring this guy in? And the officers said, no one ever spoke like this man. They were amazed as well. And the Pharisees said, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities, the people who are supposed to know, the Pharisees, those that study the law and know God, have they believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed, right? In other words, the masses are dumb. They don't understand the full implication of what Jesus is saying, right? So look to us, look at us who are elite, who are educated, who speak for God's law. Have any of us been suckered in by this imposter? Now, Nicodemus is one of them, and he's sitting with them that day when the officers come back in and say, this guy's speaking like we have never heard, and we can't touch him. We're not going to lay a hand on this person, and the Pharisees are railing against them. You idiots, grab that guy. What's wrong with you? Nicodemus, after they said, is there any one of us who believe him? They're saying, we know better. Nicodemus is not knowing better. Not anymore. He's thinking. He's processing. He's sitting there when they say this. They don't, they don't know he's been to see Jesus. They don't know that he's been thinking that Jesus might actually be telling the truth. And maybe he doesn't even fully know himself just yet. So he's not quite ready to speak up against his friends and his peers, but he's getting closer. So this is how he reacts. He gives them a word of caution in verse 50 and 51. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, right? See the tension. 
He had gone to Jesus, so he's wrestling on the private life, but he was one of them in public. Said to them, he said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So he's not quite ready yet, but he doesn't want Jesus to get killed. He's still thinking. So he stops them by using his position and his authority. He appeals to the law, which requires them not to rush to judgment, but to give a fair trial. But he wasn't willing to expose himself just yet. He's not in favor, but he's not quite against Jesus. Often our journeys of faith are measured. Sometimes they're instant. Sometimes you come to church. Sometimes you hear someone telling you the good news of Jesus, and it's like, whoosh, life's changed right then, and everything you were doing before has changed, and now you're some, something completely different. But oftentimes we are Nicodemus. We are measuring. We are slowly but surely creeping into the truth. We're coming out of the shadows into the light of day. We're dipping our toe in the water, but not quite ready to go in the deep end just yet. That's the majority of our experience. That's Nicodemus' life here at this moment. So let's fast forward. We get to the early morning hours before the sun has come up on the day of Jesus' death. This time he is on trial. They have arrested him in the middle of the night without anybody around. They arrest him. They bring him in. He's on trial, but it's not a fair one. The verdict is already decided. He's guilty. Now, Nicodemus would have been in the room. Imagine, let's use your imaginations. Nicodemus would have been in the room that morning with this crowd with Jesus before the sun's up. He's beginning to see Jesus as the one they are waiting for, as the true savior of not just Israel, but the whole world. And so we can imagine possibly, right, the pain and discomfort as he watched his peers, some that he even called friends as they slapped, they spit, they mocked Jesus. And Jesus just stood there and did nothing. We can imagine Nicodemus standing by powerlessly. He's thinking that this guy might be telling the truth. One man against this murderous crowd. He's not quite ready to speak up there either. And they carry Jesus off to be crucified. We can imagine him watching Jesus, Jesus, this innocent man, suffer and die in place of a guilty humanity. And at that moment, Nicodemus' private belief becomes his public faith. He moves from seeking in the shadows to serving in the light. You see, he, along with a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he's another Jesus-believing Pharisee, decided to give Jesus what their friends had denied him. They wanted to give him the respect of a king. And so normally what would happen is when you were crucified, you were a criminal. You were, you were nobody. You were no one from nowhere. You couldn't have a burial. So they just threw you in an unmarked grave. But Joseph and Nicodemus, Joseph and Nicodemus got permission from the Roman governor Pilate to take Jesus' dead body back down from the cross. John 19, 39 through 40, says Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. We see that reference over and over and over again. Came bringing a mixture of myrrh and of aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. In other words, just an extravagant, extraordinary amount. It would have been incredibly expensive. We don't know the exact amount of money, but it would have been a lot of money. He buys all this stuff up, and they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it with linen cloths and with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. They were risking everything, their reputation, their social standing, their position in their religious group to give Jesus a king's burial. Joseph would give up his own hand-carved tomb and Nicodemus with these expensive spices and oils and ointments. All this incredible cost, money and, and socially. So that afternoon, they peeled Jesus' dead body off the cross 
They carried him in no small distance to this tomb, his body still dripping. They carefully wrap him in linen, and they cover him in oils to preserve the body and perfumes to minimize that stench of death. Two men who aren't known for manual labor labored hard over the body of Jesus, honoring his life and his death. We can imagine Nicodemus' friends and family wondering why go such lengths for a fraud. But Nicodemus was done pretending. He believed now that Jesus really was fully God and fully man. The perfect sacrifice who came to suffer and die so that all who believed in him would be reborn into the light of God's eternal kingdom. What Nicodemus couldn't know was what seemed to him to be the end of Jesus was really just the beginning. He couldn't know that as he puts these expensive oils, and he probably had extras, so they probably set them in cans and jars inside the tomb, right? So he left them there. And and he couldn't know that as he was doing that, and he was doing all this hard labor to keep Jesus' body preserved for death, it wasn't really necessary. (laughs) He couldn't know that at the time, but he did it. He couldn't have known that death couldn't keep the God-man down at that moment, could he? But that's exactly what happened. On the bright Sunday morning after Jesus' death, he rose from the grave. He folded up those grave clothes like we saw a couple of weeks ago, and he walked out. It's not written down, but I can imagine this in my head, and I'm I'm not saying this happened, but it would be funny if it did. I I could see him maybe taking those leftover jars and and bringing them back to Nicodemus and said, hey, you might want to get a a refund. (laughs) You might want to get your money back because I don't need this anymore, right? I didn't need it to begin with. As he gets up, resurrected, fully restored, We're not told when, but it wouldn't be long before Nicodemus' now public faith would be validated by a risen Jesus. He didn't have to hide in the shadows anymore, but could boldly serve in the day knowing that his faith in Jesus was worth it no matter what the cost. He could serve in the light, not pretending to be one thing while believing another, being a whole man, standing and serving Jesus in the day. If you're seeking this morning, first, thank you for spending your morning with us. If you're here and you're like, I don't know. I'm like Nicodemus. I'm on the fence, right? Early life Nicodemus. I'm in the shadows. I'm asking questions. I'm watching online from a distance. I'm not even responding to any comments. I'm kind of just observing. Maybe I'm watching this on YouTube later, whatever the case is. Maybe you're here in person. Maybe you you come in and you're like, well, I just want to see what it's about. No harm, no foul. But as you sit and listen, and maybe you're wrestling with these personal questions, maybe you're wrestling with these private beliefs while on the outside pretending to be something else, and maybe you're thinking, I'm ready. I'm ready to stop pretending to be two things and to go all in on Christ. Are you willing to persist in seeking him despite the risks? Are you ready to commit to following him? Now, maybe you're not. It took Nicodemus years to get to this point. So maybe you're in the beginning, but are you skeptical enough? One of the things about skeptics that I, I appreciate is to ask them questions, but I don't think sometimes we're skeptical enough. We're too easy to believe everything sometimes. Sometimes we're a little more gullible than we want to believe because we'll believe what's convenient for us. Be skeptical. We talked last week, God doesn't mind our questions, right? 
He's big enough to handle them. Jesus, in, in Nicodemus' moment of questioning, didn't say, go away. You've got to figure it all out, then come to me. He says, I'll answer your questions. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep figuring it out. I'll keep giving you these answers, and we're going to process this together. And that's what a life of faith is. So if you're seeking now and you're thinking, I don't know, but keep asking questions, don't stop. Always. 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 Because he's always ready to give you the answer you're looking for if you're truly ready to see it. Keep opening your eyes. Keep looking. But if you are ready to commit, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. To be reborn. Two, for believers. How bold are we willing to be in our faith? Is it something we keep secret, pretending to be one thing in the day and another at night? Or are we so convicted, so convinced that our insecurities fade away? that the masks come off and we're willing to risk losing friends, family, coworkers, because we can no longer hide who we're made to be in Jesus. That's a question we need to ask ourselves today. I know it's hard, church, especially in our community, especially in our area. What we do isn't popular, but I love being a rebel. <laughs> I was born in Georgia, right? So I have no problem being a rebel. I love being countercultural. And in our current climate, following Jesus is as countercultural as it gets. Are we ready to go all in on him when everyone else isn't? Are we ready to continue to love those who we might perceive to be new enemies and continue to welcome them in as Jesus did as well? That's the questions we need to answer today. So let's pray together.